This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. For hundreds of years, tales have surfaced coming out of the far reaches of Central Africa, of massive dinosaur-like creatures. From the early days of the 20th century, the dinosaur craze had picked up a full head of steam, making the legendary stories of a beast known as Mokele Mabembe a popular topic among intrepid adventurers. A possible living dinosaur lurking in the jungles and lagoons of the central Congo and the connecting rivers of Cameroon. Indigenous peoples in the river areas, as well as the area of Lake Tele in the Republic of the Congo, claim that this creature is as large as an elephant, with a long neck and a serpent-like head, making the Makeli Mabembe one of the strangest creatures ever reported in the history of cryptozoology. But is the story simply a relic of the colonial age? Or could a very real cryptozoological phenomena still exist in the remaining jungles of a few select Central African nations. Join us on Into the Portal for a historical look at the search for a legendary creature known as the Makele Mbembe. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we are diving back into the world of cryptozoology, Mm -hmm. a place where we haven't uh, visited in several episodes. So I'm really excited about this one. Me too. But before we do, a tiny bit of housekeeping. Yes. We'd like to give a a good old shout out to Adam Benedict from the Pine Barrens Institute. Yes, sir. Yes. Thank you for all those awesome goodies. Um, Yeah. The stickers, magnets, pins, and an awesome handwritten letter, which we We love. We love getting handwritten letters. Personal touch. Definitely. Um, But yeah, you are awesome. Yeah, And yeah. So shout out to you and shout out to your awesome new podcast. Uh, It goes by the name of the Pine Barrens. Just Institute? the Pine Barrens? I think so. No. I mean, er... yeah, it's Pine Barrens Institute. Right, Sorry, right, <laughs> right, right, right. No, it's an awesome show. It's brand new. Um, we're going to run that promo uh, later on this month, uh, upcoming month in the new year and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, shout out to Adam. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah. reviews, reviews. Back um, to normal. It seems to be back to normal. Yeah, which is awesome. Yes. You know, iTunes is really dumb sometimes. It's a bit of an enigma. It is a little bit of an enigma, but it seems like everything is. Hey, okay, so yeah. sweet. But yep. we would appreciate any more reviews if you got some free time over the holidays. So, <laughs> nice uh, little yeah. gift for uh, for Christmas for Amber and Andrew. Sure, yeah. Drop it, us a review. It really is a gift. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what other housekeeping we got today, Andrew? Well, uh, we do have a new uh, Patreon patron. So <gasps> shout out to yes. Jared Dieterman. 
awesome. Thank you so much for joining us as a paranormal scholar. Yeah. So yeah, Jared's uh, joined joined our little family on Patreon. So for just five bucks a month, he's getting a personal handwritten thank you uh, note from us that's in the mail, an ITP logo sticker, a shout out that's happening right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to get our exclusive ringtone music and of course our monthly uh, bonus uh, mini episode. So lots of great exclusive content coming your way. So thank you very much, Jared. That's awesome. Yeah, we appreciate you. Thanks, bud. Definitely. All right. You ready to uh, you ready to dive into this? Yes. I got. I feel like I need to come up with a better line to like segue into stuff. I, I was just gonna do an awesome segue. Oh, okay, 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 okay. All right. I don't think I have it in me though. Let's start over. I feel like we need uh, we need some help from Raptor that come hails from the area hey. that we are actually talking about today. That's right. So big old shout out to Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're big basketball fans. In case anybody hasn't noticed already, because we drop a few references here and there. But uh, yeah, we one of the areas that we are going to discuss on tonight's episode is the Cameroon, uh, which is uh, where one of our favorite players uh, hails from. So he's shout out to Pascal. Doing great. This yeah, season. he's killing it this year. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So we are, of course, talking about the legend of Mbukele Mbembe. <laughs> I think I said that wrong. Isn't it Mbembe? I feel like I've heard it a couple of different ways, but yeah, it's either Mbembe or Mbembe. Mbembe. Right, because it's more like the sound, not the actual M. It's right. Like Mbembe. It's fun to say, though. Mbembe. Mbembe. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah no, I got the rhythm. Like, you got the rhythm. <laughs> not really. <laughs> not really. Yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a lesser known cryptid, maybe one that was more so known, you know, at the turn of the century, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, the, the, the 20th century, but kind of faded away. Um, and nowadays is maybe lesser known, but this was suggested to us. Um, goodness, I'm, the name is escaping me, but, uh, somebody, I think several people did. I, yeah. It's been definitely referenced a few times, but so we, we felt like we had to do it because the, the prospect of a dinosaur like creature still existing amongst us yeah. is bizarre. Well, that's to say, that's, that's funny you say that because there are living dinosaurs walking amongst us. So of course. yeah, a lot I of mean, people don't realize that some of these ancient like even the coelacanth, right? Like that hails from that era. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Even the coelacanth, that's like the go-to reference for like, <laughs> this thing's still alive. Look exactly. how ancient it is. You know what I mean? It looks like, yeah. Super ancient. So deep in the heart of the jungles of essentially three African nations. So there's the Cong- the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the Republic of the Congo, as well as Cameroon. Mm-hmm. And there's actually, I believe we're going to make a few references to Zambia here as well, which is a southeast of the Cameroon. Right. So in a different neck of the woods. Right. So, but in and amongst all these, these states, these countries in Africa, there's a creature that's said to dwell in the swamps and bogs of basically the nearly inaccessible interior, right? Folklore of the people living in these dense jungles of these nations claim that a massive dinosaur-like creature has existed there for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years, possibly. Hmm. I mean, in terms of it being referenced by indigenous peoples. Right. Okay. So in a human context. Right. So in some references is considered to be more physical, whereas in others, it's considered to be more of a spiritual entity. So... But so that's something we're going to get into. But mm-hmm. for the most part, the sightings and encounters of the Mokele Mabembe are of a physical, very all too real creature. So mm, that's interesting you say that, though. It could be more spiritual, like more like half spirit, half beast, because then we're kind of getting into that sort of maybe more interdimensional realm. Maybe that explains a few of the 
inconsistencies with evidence and, and bodies, but there are other reasons to explain that too. And definitely. We're, we're definitely going to get into all that with our discussion. Absolutely. This, the, the literal translation of Mokeli Mabembe is very, very cool. Very interesting. It translates to the phrase, the one who stops the flow of rivers, mm-hmm. obviously implying that whatever we're dealing with here is a large huge creature, right? Yeah. And this is translated from the Lingala language, uh, which is a member of the Bantu language family. I, I'm prob- I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. I hope I'm not way off. <laughs> but this is a language family spoken across uh, the two Congos, um, other Central African countries, including the Cameroon, although the official languages in the Cameroon are French and English. Right. So, uh, mm-hmm. but there's lots of different, obviously, dialects at work here describing dinosaur-like creatures. Mm-hmm. And I think you pulled this up here as well. You also found that the name can translate so to sort of half spirit, half beast. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I came across that. I did come across um, in other references too. Yeah, exactly that. The one who flows. Flows. <laughs> Stops the flow. <laughs> He's flowing. He's, it's like the flow rider. <laughs> it's like Aunt Flo. Once she comes down. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so getting into a little bit more of a description of the creature. Obviously, it is dinosaur-like, as you are all aware by now. Yeah. But a lot of the times, we get this sort of classic sauropod or seropod description. So, like, a long neck. And that's a family of dinosaurs, right? So, there's a yeah. lot of different variations within that. Um, yeah, so basically a long neck quadrupedal. So walking on all fours, not yep. usually described as having like flippers or anything, even no. though it's always around water. Right. So semi-aquatic. And, um, but some people have, yeah, exactly. Like you will get someone throwing out the plesiosaur example. Yeah. But plesiosaurs do have these types of flippers. Yes. And again, yeah, that's kind of an inconsistency with a lot of the descriptions. Yeah. But yeah, like he said, one who stops the flow of rivers this thing's huge. It's bigger than a hippo, and it is known to be quite territorial, and it attacks and kills anything that kind of comes into its way, including hippopotamuses, which are some of the most formidable animals that you will come across yeah. in in the jungle. They're no slouch. No. No, they're very dangerous. Their jaw bite force is one of the most powerful in the whole animal kingdom. I think the hyena is the only one that beats them out. I think, yeah. I'm pretty that sure. For mammals, right. at least. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that sounds correct. Yeah, something like that. But curiously enough hippos which are definitely one of the more dominant species in in a lot of parts of africa right and normally should inhabit areas where we see mokele mbembe mbembe sightings but they're interestingly absent in a lot of these areas so it's like okay if they're absent that means that they're not the apex and it means that they don't feel comfortable they're in danger and being aquatic or semi-aquatic animals they're in the way of Mokele. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly, right? Exactly. That, that's something that was noted by, yeah, a few different researchers, but that's very, very interesting. Something we'll come back to. Definitely. And so a lot of these descriptions come from the indigenous peoples living in these areas. It's not as if it's, well, it could to a degree be hyped up by the Westerners that go and visit and uh, a lot sure. of these expeditions that have come in and out. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the um, people living there today, including expeditions that have gone in the 2000s, will confirm this themselves. Yeah. And so a lot of these are, yeah, like you said, they're Likuala pygmies. And um, essentially, they describe how fierce this thing is, too. So it attacks, it kills humans, but 
it is an herbivore. It won't eat them. And so it only eats um, this plant called the malo- malombo yeah, plant. Yeah, the malombo plant. Malombo. Yeah, Anyways. which is actually kind of like two species of plant. And it literally has just become synonymous as the food of this mythical creature, Mokeli Mobembe. It's almost like not <laughs> even known outside of the lore of this animal as like a as just a plant in like a biology textbook or anything like that so it's almost like the plant in and of itself some people in when i was reading some forums and stuff it's almost like people are referencing the plant as if it's fake too but mm-hmm. it, it it is actually a a real uh, a real thing a real planting but there are even more descriptions of this creature as well so the animal is actually said to be i find this to be kind of odd to be brownish gray in color like when i think dinosaur you're thinking more I don't know. I'm not really picturing brown. Mm, I don't know. Well, that sounds like an elephant to me. So I it guess. does kind of correspond to a natural color pigmentation. Are elephants brown? I yeah. suppose so. I mean, it's... They're it, like almost brownish purple. Like gray. Like, I you guess know what that I mean? makes sense. Yeah. They're like, they're like a warm gray. Well, speaking of elements, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> the I give up gray. The I give up gray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the Michele Bobembe is sporting this fashion season. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, um, in reference to elephants, though, that is essentially like what kind of size it approximates to, right? So that's the most, that's the closest reference we can find in these, uh, like Mm -hmm. forest elephants, essentially, would be the closest thing. It's said to have a long and very flexible neck. So like, hence the comparison to sauropods Mm -hmm. and obviously just, you know, throw back to uh, the land before time. Yep. But some are also described as very, like having muscular long tails similar to a crocodile or an alligator. Boats and canoes who venture too close to this creature are said to be obviously doomed. The animal attacks vessels as soon as it comes into contact with them because it's obviously extremely territorial, but like you mentioned Mm. before, it does not uh, eat the bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but I think most importantly here, though, the the creature is said to live in caves, which makes sense because a lot of these parts of these rivers, the Congo River, the Ja River, and some of these others that feed into the main one, can get quite shallow. So if we're oh, dealing yeah. with a really massive creature here, yeah, it would have to have some sort of a way to hide, right? So exactly. digging into the mud. Totally. Clay. And you know, that does make sense. Like a lot of those rivers that you see, especially if you look at them on Google Earth, they are like meandering type rivers. So they're at kind of like this interesting sort of like medium stage of like river development where you get a lot of these sharp bends. You get a lot of... Um, a lot of carving out uh, erosion action happening, which can actually create um, little convenient dugouts in in the corners of these right. things that I, I could see potentially being quite attractive for something like this, right? Definitely, especially if those some of those sharp corners are, you know, in inaccessible areas of the river. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of them obviously are. But... Um, like we mentioned already before, the diet is entirely, you know, vegetable. Mm-hmm. It's eating the malombo plant, and it's essentially acting like a giraffe. People are walking through the jungle and seeing foliage gone, you know, 18, 20, 30 feet up. Interesting. And thinking something had to have been eating that, obviously. Yeah. So overall, the description really does indicate that of a sauropod, mm-hmm. which is what we're dealing with. But, of course, the sauropods are even more, they're even older, and they died out even like, I, I can't remember exactly, we'll get to it in a bit here, but, you know, millions of years before even their other other dinosaurs. Before the main extinction happened. So, we're obviously dealing with an extreme impossibility here with a sauropod, but that's what the descriptions are leaning towards. So, of mm-hmm. course, sauropods were 
were the largest animals known to have ever walked on Earth, okay? Their range extends from the late Triassic period until the late Cretaceous period around 66 million years ago. And they were known to be on all continental land masses except Antarctica. But yeah, I mean, researchers even expect they might be there too, kind of hiding in, you know, mm. bones hiding in the ice, right? That's interesting, actually. 66 million years ago, so I was very close to the main diet then. I thought that they had an extinction a little bit even earlier than that. Well, I think some of them did. Like, again, like you mentioned this at the beginning, like sauropod is a very broad spectrum. We're dealing with mm-hmm. a lot of different animals here within that family. Right. And a lot, some of them are massive. Some of them are a lot smaller. Yeah. And the easiest reference point for me was the description of the feet size. Like some of the biggest ones are over three feet, like over a meter wide. Mm-hmm. And some of the smaller ones were, you know, a foot and a half to two feet wide as like the feet. But if you're thinking about that as a small dinosaur, two feet that's the width of your foot. Yeah, that's pretty big. Pretty massive, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I did add here that like some of these species were in fact quite small, but could appear much larger since it's speculated that sauropods could rear up on their hind legs um, mm. and actually using their tail as kind of a third leg or a tripod. That makes sense. Because like the description is that their tail was extremely muscular. Yes. And would have served as its main defensive uh, sort of mechanism as yeah, well by think. just like whipping it around and just to evade attackers and stuff. Definitely. So it would definitely be used in other ways as well. Like yeah. kickstand. So Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So obviously their defining characteristic was their size. Like massive tails to smack stuff out of the way. Like even the dwarf sauropods were five to six meters around 20 feet long. So like oh, wow. they're, they're quite massive mm-hmm. creatures, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously the largest in their ecosystem and their only real competitors in terms of size were um, creatures at the time like that were essentially water dwelling creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Rock quells or like blue, blue ancestors of the blue whale and other sort of marine marine reptiles and things like that there weren't a lot of other land animals that could compare to the sauropods really they so dominated. yeah so we're dealing with big big stuff here but <laughs> of course the question that we're dealing with is like could a living dinosaur be lurking right. in the interiors of these jungles and i think i think it's important to note before we get into sightings here that regardless of where you stand because there's there's hard scientists that, you know, don't necessarily think it's a dinosaur that could just be some sort of a creature. There's young earth creationists and mm-hmm. hardcore Christians and stuff that have this idea that the earth is only whatever, 40 years old or 40 <laughs> minutes old or whatever, and they got to find a dinosaur to prove it. And that we're all living together is kind of their... Right. Yeah. Regardless of all of that, it is important to note that these areas, especially in the Congo, like the Cameroon is the safest a, a place to look for Mokeli Mbembe. Yeah, the the jungles of the Congo, the Democratic Republic, and the Republic of the Congo are ju- not really safe to travel. No, lots of drug trafficking, just gangs, all that. Yeah, it's stuff. Just, and then on top of it, you get the natural threats, right? Like the crazy bugs and like diseases. Poisonous and snakes. Snakes, uh, yeah. Crocodile. Or, mm. yeah, I'm, I always get confused. The crocs or alligators. Um, whatever. Oh. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously the Mokele Mbembe, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you believe it to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, you pulled up this stat here, hey? Yeah, this uh, is pretty nuts. 20,000 reported dinosaur sightings across the world in the 20th century. Crazy. <laughs> 40% of these are contained to the uh, the African continent, and I would wager that um, that's mostly, like, landlocked yes. um, Central African countries. Exactly. So like, they said continent, not coastal areas. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, that's really, yeah, I mean, that's something. I mean, obviously people are seeing something. I don't think it's just 
a and matter of uh, trying to prove whatever that the earth is young or whatever. Right? Well, that's just a, yeah, exactly. Like you can spin this a whole bunch of different ways, but it's interesting. Like, yeah, 20,000 reports. Obviously there is a big, like, you know, there's all sorts of different ones, like flying dinosaurs. Like we've come across that. Even you say that like, you saw something that looked almost like a pterodactyl when you were young. Yeah. Growing up at Christina Lake there. I mean, I probably was just me being a really. <laughs> probably just a stork, but who knows? Yeah. Or heron or whatever. Yeah. But you never know, right? So, yeah, let's get into some sightings here. Yeah, let's do it. I, yeah, there's a lot. And it's really cool because a lot of this comes from the locals. And I think, well, we're going to start with the Congolese pygmies and the locals of the areas of Congo and Cameroon. So, okay, this guy named Pascal, not Pascal Siakam, but Pascal <laughs> Motega, describes stories from his ancestors in the area of Lake Tele, which is the hotspot, hey? Like, it's one of the number one areas that you can see these things. Definitely. But anyway, so it is a water source located in the center of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And it's interesting, right? Because it's very circular. There's not a lot of in-flowing in, like, in-flowing rivers, what I mean to say. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like, there's speculation it was created by, like, as, like, from an impact crater from a... Oh, cool. um, That makes sense. um, Other sort of interesting ways that it was uh, formed. If you Google Earth it, that makes sense, what you just said. But anyways, yeah, so this guy, Pascal Motega, he said that his ancestors were quite perturbed about Mokele Mbembe. They had a lot of encounters, and because of this, they actually began to set large spikes across the river in their fishing areas as a defense against this monster because they feared it so deeply and it did impact their livelihood because they couldn't go fish, right? So how are you going to feed yourself if you can't go fish? So anyways, yeah, he doesn't actually give any specific dates. I think it's just one of those things, right, where it just has been passed down from generation to generation and we're not sure how far it goes, but it is entrenched in this culture and in his particular, in his family and stuff. So we can assume that it has been around a lot longer than European contact has been around in the African continent. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. It more so surfaced, I think, in the the 1930s and stuff like that. But yeah, you're right. It It was around way, way before. And there were, obviously, we will get into some more earlier sightings too but you're right yeah this story came from about that in the 1930s or was popularized during the 1930s who knows but um yeah it uh it's interesting because they had a a tale that they actually killed one of these creatures and it was two of them two mokele mebembes and they were quite ferocious they were trying to smash through a wall of stakes designed to keep them out and then essentially they had this yeah conflict with a bunch of spear wielding tribesmen and after this epic thrashing battle they were allegedly able to kill off one of them so one got away and they killed one and they brought it back to the village and they cooked it and ate it as part of a celebratory feast and anyways the story goes that everyone that ate the meat died <laughs> they became violently ill and just Kaputs, that's it. Not supposed to be eating that. Very interesting. Meat. That was from uh, Mysterious Universe, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I take what they say with a grain of salt a little bit. But, oh, definitely. You know, like, this is really cool. And honestly, I could see this being one of those, like, pulp 
magazine stories. Oh, like for the, sure. the, What was that men's magazine from the 50s that we came across when we were looking into, like, oh, UFOs and everything? Yeah, and that definitely that? reminds me. And even, like, more so, right? Like, the, um, the beasts of the wild and how they always had, like, this damsel in distress, like, on the cover and she's getting, like, molested by the Sasquatch and meanwhile it's, like, cowboys, like, wrangling him from behind <laughs> and it's this crazy scene. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of something you'd see in one of those magazines. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like well, it. I, that, I'm reminded of the, uh, that image we found too from like the man eating plants where it's like that classic yes. like the comic-y looking oh gosh like woman yeah. being uh yeah devoured by the by the giant flower but yeah uh pr- pretty fascinating and i'm gonna kind of jump into lake Tele again here that you mentioned a second ago because mm-hmm. yeah like you said it is definitely one of the main hotspots for sightings which which in in some ways seems kind of like unlikely in the sense that like yeah there's no major waterways feeding into it um and on the one hand people are always saying that the Mokele Mabembe is essentially like you know it's traveling these water highways of the Congo and 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 the Cameroon right like Mm -hmm. it's it's semi-aquatic but it's basically always that's that's how it travels predominantly okay and then it feeds on land but obviously to get to like Tele it would be trekking through the jungle yeah um, which you think would leave some more evidence but of course some people have said that they found you know pathways smashed out by something massive then there's no elephants in, in nearby or whatever oh, that's right? interesting too. so but anyway lake tele uh there's kind of a phrase that goes along with it it's it kind of it's if there exists a place in the middle of nowhere lake tele is the place and this is sort <laughs> of often associated with the lake because it really is true like for humans at least anyway because there's no roads there's no paths even really i mean you're trekking straight through dense jungle with your mm-hmm. machete you, um, you would think even if you did come across some evidence too that it would be quickly washed away yeah yeah just by the environment that's very true mm-hmm. so humid obviously we want yeah like in the rainy season it's like crazy amounts of rain mm-hmm. things aren't gonna last long so lake tele is located in the central part of the Likuala swamps so wetland area 140,000 square kilometers in size mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. is obviously part of the home of this alleged creature so massive swampland, larger than Greece or Bulgaria. Okay. That's... So, I mean, even if you have a small breeding population of something, and I'm not saying it's a dinosaur, but like, we'll get into that later in our theories and stuff. That's a big, massive area. And just to throw out there again, what, the wood bison, <laughs> I've mentioned it many times. That was a herd of hundreds of animals that weigh over a thousand kilograms just trekking through the woods. We mm-hmm. had no idea they were there for over 500 years. That's very true. That's and... b- Exactly. Right? That's that's a herd. That's, that's a not like, herd. That's not like Mokele Mbembe, which is spotted in either pairs or by itself. Right. And uh, even to add to that thought is the idea that the mountain gorilla and the white rhino were only discovered in this century as well. So that's those are very quite, true. Quite large animals too. Yeah. Very mm. very true. So yeah, this area is the sort of uh, the last explored swamp in the world. Is, <laughs> the is last some, least explored. <laughs> the last to be completely explored, I think, is the better way to phrase that. Right. Like it hasn't been completely covered right partly because of the dangers of the jungle and the political issues in the congo obviously Mm -hmm. but scientists are convinced that there are new species there to be discovered in the water and in 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 the in the jungle still to this day so anyway um but yeah extremely inaccessible since there's no major rivers you've mentioned that already and for tens of thousands of years the rivers in the i'm struggling with this uh the likuala swamps um (laughs) have been populated by these these congolese pygmies that you mentioned the mabenga people who maintain the sort of traditional hunter-gatherer lifestyle up to this day and actually they're kind of struggling um these days i came across an article about how a lot of like um ngos that are for conservation like 
ecological conservation are actually driving them out. So like they're, you know, because they, they hunt traditionally and things like that. So Hmm. there's kind of these, this reverse, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like they're, they're protecting the environment, but you're also kind of like bullying and, uh, in some cases, apparently killing the people that oh. are still living there. Oh no! Yeah, That's so it's bad. it's not a very good situation for that these people. That kind of reminds me of like perhaps the Yuka years in Siberia too, because of their yeah. alternative perspective and how that has led to what other scientists think is like overhunting, but they see it in a whole different way. Right. But this could maybe be a similar where it's just, or even yeah, like um, well, this is more deforestation, but uh, in Haiti. Right, oh, that sort yeah. of thing, where it's like maybe they're just trying to be preventative, and I kind of get that, but yeah, I'll let people self-determine, man. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, no, for sure. So just to finish up here, these notes on Lake Tele, it's I already mentioned this. It's like it's extremely shallow, so it's not really suitable as a hiding place, obviously. But the locals insist that it is. It is. It's not a hiding place. It's merely a watering hole of sorts for mm. these creatures uh, when they're not traveling the Congo River, the Jaw River, and sort of other water highways in the jungle. I see. Yeah. Okay. So it's just, yeah, it's just a, almost like a destination, right? Like you get those um, narratives, like, a, <laughs> what's it, uh, planet Earth with like the elephants that literally trek like hundreds and hundreds of kilometers to reach yeah. what they know is their watering hole at the other end there. And they, right. yeah, it's all memory based. That's cool. I wonder if these would operate in a similar way. I wonder. Anyways, we're dipping back a little bit here. This is even <clears throat> earlier. This comes from the 1700s, specifically 1776. And it comes from a French missionary. And he by, was by the name of Abe Proyart. Um, Abbe. Or Abbe. <laughs> Abbe. Abe. Abe Simpson. Abbe. Abbe. Livian Bonaventure Proyart. There you are. Mm-hmm. That's the floor, yeah. Yeah. So he was one of the earliest European missionaries that decided to go deep into the jungles and convert some people. Mm-hmm. But uh, he wrote a history of Luano, um, Kagongo, and other kingdoms of Africa. Sorry, I kind of butchered that. Kagong- Kagonga? Kagonga. Sorry. I pulled, I pulled my History mom. of Laongo, Kagonga, and other kingdoms of Africa. Okay, Africa. so that's what he, yeah. he wrote in, in it. He didn't write it, but he contributed to it. Okay, I was he confused. He wrote there in it. it. Yeah. Oh, I thought he actually wrote it. Hmm. I, I have a feeling that obviously multiple missionaries probably would have been contributing to it. Well, that actually does make sense. It'd be kind of a collective work. Yeah. A uh, anthology, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, so he wrote in this book about a group of French missionaries that he, I'm assuming, was a part of. Yeah. Who had found the tracks of an enormous unknown animal in the jungle. Yes. So these missionaries reported that they had seen these giant footprints about a meter or over three feet in diameter with <laughs> claw prints. Of some unknown animal, and I don't even know what that animal would be. That's pretty crazy. Claw prints. That's the <clears> first <throat> mention of that, I think. I yeah, and it's interesting because like, when I think of a Bigfoot or like you know like a sauropod or something with like the big hoof print, where it's just like this big trunk like stump, and then you get like those like those funny little like rounded toe things. There's like three of them or something. Yeah. But you never think of it as having like claws. Not really, but I mean, obviously there's something there. That's interesting, I though. Guess. What would have claws then? Like, it, obviously, like crocodiles or alligators or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> One of but the I two. mean, not a not. A, <laughs> I know we're sorry. <laughs> we should know which is which in in this area of the world, but I'm just I always get I if always mix them up. If we were in Florida, 
Because, like, there, there's there's one in Florida, and that's one, and then there's the other one is in Africa, No, right? there's still both in, in different areas of... But I thought it was, like, one was there, and one the other one was in the other. I don't know. That's okay. a rabbit hole we're not going down right now, but, uh, <laughs> but I do not think that this is a relative of that. Either, no, so I don't think so. What am I there? I don't know. Because they have claws, right? That right. makes a little bit of sense. Um, but anyways, yeah, do they ever actually saw the animal? No. So, mystery footprints. Yeah, they never saw it, but he did... I, I think they did claim to have heard it, but I mean, he was he was amazed by the feet. Obviously, the size of these things three point two eight feet in diameter. The translation that came from this uh, sort of anthology that he contributed to reads as follows: This is a quote from Abbe Proyart. He said, "It must be monstrous. The prints of its claws are seen upon the earth and formed an impression on it about three feet in circumference. Hmm. In observing the posture and disposition of the footprints, they concluded that it did not... Oh, sorry. I don't actually know if this is part of the uh, of his original quote. I think that's just ends with the circumference. And then okay. a quote from a, a sort of a interpretation of it was that uh, in observing the posture and disposition of the footprints, like Abbe Priart and the missionaries concluded that it did not uh, run... It did not run this part of the way and that it's it hmm. carried its claws at a great distance of seven or eight feet from the other so i think they're saying it was walking yeah and that it's the the space between steps were obviously massive distance seven it didn't appear feet. it didn't seven appear or eight feet. right like so it didn't appear to be a, a creature bounding like running right. and that, that would obviously create a massive gap between its steps or whatever yeah no sort of like indentations that right. would sort of support that yeah mm-hmm. Crazy, right? That is pretty crazy. So one to three feet. So that's interesting, though. Like you hear in the actual quote, it says three feet in circumference mm-hmm. versus up here, it said diameter. Mm-hmm. But diameter and circumference are two different things. Yes, they so. are. So circumference would be a lot smaller, obviously. Yeah, that would be like halfing it. I think mm-hmm. we're, but I, like the, the, the sizes essentially range between one to three and a half feet mm-hmm. in total, total width. Okay. Mm, that's interesting. Well, okay, so that was one of the earliest accounts. Um, So 1776, that one was in. And then in the 1880s, we get another sort of similar... It's This is a little bit of a tangent because it's more so on the general note of unknown creatures being uncovered in Africa. Right. And this one comes from uh, Henry Morton Stanley. And he was actually a journalist. And he worked in New York, I believe, New York or Chicago. And he was sent by his editor to go after this other guy named Dr. Livingston. Dr. Livingston is a really interesting character. And I think he deserves his own episode. Really? Okay. I really do. And he hailed from Britain. He was very interested in Africa. He was one of those enigmas that could just seem blend into the cultures of Africa. He didn't mind being the only white person, quote-unquote. And he was just, like... He was just one of those sort of, like, slippery characters that just... He could just get get wherever he needed to go. Oh, totally, yeah. And so he actually was... uh, He had several expeditions over over the course of decades, I believe, over his whole career. And one of these actually sent him on a quest to find the mouth of the Nile... Um, so essentially the, the source of the Nile, where did this Nile originate from? 
And so he actually went missing while he was on this quest. And he was gone for about four years. Totally fine. He was just doing his thing. <laughs> but this Henry Morton Stanley was sent after him on this epic quest to go find Dr. Livingston. And it was kind of funny. It was like this sort of rivalry between American and uh, British scientists and whatever sure, else. So sure. there was a good story there. And yeah. his editor wanted it. So he sent him out with um, a little bit of a crew. And... Anyways, they they were trekking for a little bit, and everyone started to kind of fall apart. And poor, <laughs> poor old Henry Morton Stanley was, like, the only survivor. The first person... He had, like, two other Americans he was with. The first died of, like, dysentery within the first few weeks. Yeesh. The second actually tried to... He had, like, a failed mutiny where he tried to shoot Henry, oh. and he ended up, like... I don't even know what happened to him. He... he got some disease i think and died too but anyway so while they were on this epic quest he saw another mysterious creature lurking in the remote wilderness of this sort of like yeah congo basin area right and he described it as something like a donkey but unlike anything the reporter had ever seen in his life so donkey hmm what do you you think where where are we going with this it was none other than an okapi yeah or Okapi. Okapi. I don't know. Okapi. I like saying Okapi. It's just... Okapi. It sounds like a Pokemon. It sounds like Okaped, my um, ped- pedantrist. Is that what they're called? The foot doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> but it ended up being this crazy giraffe horse hybrid thing. Or sorry, zebra horse hybrid giraffe thing, maybe. I don't know. It, it has a little it, bit of everything. Yeah, I mean, it has the stripes like a zebra. I mean, the Okapi is definitely become one of the again like the coelacanth one of these sort of beacons in cryptozoology you know what i mean where exactly. it's like things mm-hmm. are out there to be found exactly i mean obviously so, this was early this was 1880s it was early. but uh but i thought this is an interesting sort of thing and this came up when i was reading about this um like roy mackle's expeditions to africa and mm. they, they they referenced that he was inspired by earlier expeditions and these unknown creatures that had been uncovered so that's how i kind of game onto this little trail of breadcrumbs here but yeah these two man like there is so much fun stuff to uncover with those so anyways we have to get back to that one one day or another absolutely no you're, you're right but a cool I'd... precedent right so this okapi or okapi or whatever like it was uh yeah, yeah. it was just like this perhaps Showing obviously not as undiscovered big, but you know no I, yeah no you're right i mean yeah not as big but i mean still yeah like sets a precedent and you mentioned before too like the mountain gorilla and what was the other oh the uh, white rhino the white rhino hadn't been discovered until just just in the last hundred years or whatever it's mm-hmm. pretty bizarre you know okay here's the thing like i'm jumping into now 1909 so the turn of the 20th century mm-hmm. first first decade but we're kind of picking out some of the there's a lot of expeditions and this would be like a five part episode if we went through every single one. Mm-hmm. Um, some are more interested than others. All of them kind of have their own value as individual expeditions, but we're just kind of picking out some of the most, uh, what we think are the most interesting. So 1909, of course, this one's interesting. A big game hunter. <laughs> one of the most famous in history. A guy by the name of, name of Carl Hagenbeck or Hagenbeck. 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 Eating lots of Hagen-Dawes? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, 1909, so, so the first mention of this creature in his book, um, Beasts and Men, it was an autobiography uh, that he wrote about his life of basically traveling the world and capturing big game animals for zoos and private collections mm. all over the world. He claimed to have actually heard from two independent sources about a creature living not in the Congo, not in Cameroon, but in Rhodesia, um, which was described to them by the indigenous peoples of that country as a half elephant, half dragon. So with a, so that half dragon part emphasis being that similar long neck, 
um, similar frills on the back of the head, like the description of the Mokele Mbembe. Def- definitely dragon-like, that's for sure. Mm. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Rhodesia. Okay, so this is the first mention we've had of Rhodesia, mm-hmm. and that is a little bit more to the southeast. Yeah. And um, some people take issue with the widespread sort of um, correlation or uh, people claiming to have seen these things, and we'll get into that in a little bit too, the whole skeptics argument yeah. um, once we're done these sightings, but that's interesting. Okay, so we got Rhodesia on the menu. Right. And you know what's funny? You said, like, half elephant, half dragon. I had to throw this in here. I was like, okay, so more dragons. Like, this is 1909. We far surpassed the Middle Ages and the glory days of the saints slaying all these dragons. <laughs> Very true. Very but true. That's, that's maybe it is something to do. What if it was some sort of crazy amalgamation of, like, a Komodo dragon and some sort of, yeah, like, ancient, I don't even know, like, a bigger species of some sort? I don't know. Or, yeah, like, just some sort of a weird, like end of the place to seeing a guana like lizard that just went Godzilla, ate some weird beans and grew to be like way bigger than he, it should. I don't he know. He made it to the megafauna era. He made it, he he made it. mega. Yeah, <laughs> like, and then he just stuck with the mega part of that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. But anyways, yeah, that's a cool one. And we also into or sorry, 2009. 1909. Well, we are going to come up to 2009. Pretty that, quick here. But yeah. before we do that, we did want to give a quick mention to this um, Lieutenant Paul Grant's <laughs> you just Amber. love how I butcher that. You just like that's just like the most Canadian <laughs> pronunciation. Like you're coming. Like I don't even know. Paul Gratz. Gratz. <laughs> Where am I from? Like Wisconsin. I, I don't even. Well, yeah, or that. Yeah, or that. <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, he was an explorer, and he did write about. Again, we're getting another similar creature here. This one is known as Nisanga or something Nisanga. Like cool. Know. Very similar to Mokele Mbembe though. I keep mispronouncing that, I feel like. But anyways, um, so this was definitely found in Zambia as well. So modern day Rhodesia. And um, the legends of the natives say that it inhabits Lake Bangualo. Bangualo region. I don't know. Ben... Ben. You're doing well. You're you're cutting yourself short here today. Like, yeah, Bangwelu. Bangwelu. Bang I don't know. It's fun. It's fun to say. It say, it to say. It's say it at home. Say it at home. Say it out loud. <laughs> but anyways, Grass's uh, report is pretty significant, as it is the first account that describes this animal as being dinosaur-like. So that, again, we are in hmm. 1909. This is the height of the dinosaur craze. Yes. We've had a lot of significant finds um, by this point in history. From Colorado, Montana, um, the Rockies, so um, Alberta, all of this. And people, it was it was just like gold, especially for the media, right? The newspapers. And so this, um, all of these mentions, right, of dinosaur-like creatures are just kind of riding the sort of, <clears throat> I don't even know, like the vocabulary of the day, right? To kind of hit Definitely. home and get people's attention. So that comes up a bit, again, in the skeptic side of things, but very cool, right? So 1909, first dinosaur-like mention. Yeah, we were we were talking about this earlier, how it was kind of serendipitous that we just watched um, an episode of one of our favorite shows, Murdoch Mysteries. Yeah. And it was the one where it was like the Bone Wars. They're playing off of that, totally. those, those classic stories of the Bone Wars. And they bring in a whole bunch of stuff into that episode that we that we're touching on here, the the religious aspect of it, right? Because mm. that's we're now here at the turn of the century into the territory where 
finding dinosaur bones was like a big no-no for the church, right? So it's like yeah. people were like, this isn't cool because, it, you know, this is going to negate what we're saying over here. The implications of it weren't cool. Right. The fact that these creatures, like, they were they were scrambling to find alternative um theories and explanations for this yeah you get the young earth creationists you get but what else is happening right now which is interesting in this particular moment of history is the spiritualist movement right which again is kind of heresy to the church you get a lot of this This is a lot of modernist ideas everyone it seems to me to be a lot of what we're experiencing right now in culture yeah like 100 plus years later because it's it's very much so this like this wanting of some sort, something else, right? This yeah. this ambiguity and what's it called? Like basically, what's the religious version of that? Where you're just like, I'm agnostic. That's it. Right. Agnostic. Yeah. yeah. But these people are searching for meaning in all certain ways. So like totally. dinosaurs, this adds a whole another layer to the imagination Absolutely, of history right? and all this kind of stuff. Totally. And like the character uh, George Crabtree makes that that line where he's like, I hear that there's still like dinosaurs living in this. Congo and the jungles yeah. of Central Africa and this kind of stuff because people wanted to believe that at this exactly right? whether you were on the religious side or not. It's fantastical but to that point as well. To go back to Abbe Poriart's um, testimony or whatever, his, him seeing the footprints in the 1700s. In the 1700s, I feel like back then. I made this. We, we were talking about this earlier too. Like that, I don't think he would have been. He like back in the 1700s, they he didn't need to make the same argument for like what he was doing in Africa, right? That you would maybe maybe have to make in the 1900s, say. Mm. Like you wouldn't be a young Earth creationist trying to find dinosaurs to like help solidify, you know, whatever your belief in this, that, or the other thing. He, like it was more more of a pure experience. I feel like coming from 1776. Like this is before. When did Darwin publish? I mean, it was in and around the same time, but definitely this, it would have been before it was super duper mainstream worldwide, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Taught in classrooms and all that type of thing. So yeah, anyway, I just think that's kind of worth mentioning. Definitely, yeah. But to go back to um, Hagenbach, (laughs) he was sort of supplied information um, about dinosaurs in Africa that he ended up writing about too, which was interesting. So like, there's this guy by the name of Joseph Mengus, or Mm. Joseph Mengus, and he told Hagenbach about similar stories. So Hagenbach kind of took these stories and speculated that it can only be some kind of dinosaur because that's what people had been describing, seemingly akin to a brontosaurus. So here we are in the sauropod realm. Yeah. So another one of this guy's sources was a guy by the name of Hans Schomburg, So he would have been another German naturalist working in Africa. And he asserted that while at Lake, the one you just referenced, Lake Bangweulu, Mm -hmm. he noted that there was, like we said earlier, a lack of hippopotami. Mm. No hippos chilling. In a place where it's wetlands, a lot of their food sources were there, and he found it quite strange that there weren't hippos there. Um, this was a point that would later be made by Roy Mackle as well near Lake Tele, no hippos, uh, continuing on, you know, basically it's, it's continuing on to find, only find people saying that hippos are killed by this creature. That's why they're not here. <laughs> it's a hippo killing creature that lives in Lake Banawulu and all these other places. So it's much more dominant. Right. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So there we go. In 1909. Okay. So now we're up to 1913. We've got a German expedition now. Yes. And so, okay, there's tons of reports coming out of Central Africa by other European explorers and those 
um, like missionary types that were sent on expeditions for other reasons. So this guy by the name, he was a German captain. His name was Ludwig Freer von Stein Lauschnitz. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, wait, let's see that again. Okay. Ludwig Freer von Stein zu Lauschnitz. Nice. Yeah, there we go. Yes. So anyways, he was instructed to conduct a survey of German colonies in what is now Cameroon in this year of 1913. And he, while he was there, he heard a lot of stories that he wrote about in his later report of this enormous reptile that was alleged to live in the jungles and included um, an actual description of the beast in his official report. Crazy. Yes. And according to some sources, von Stein worded his report with the utmost caution okay. because he knew that it might just be seen as flat out ridiculous, like, right. you know, and he would be crazy. And uh, I don't blame him, really, you know? Yeah. And he really did think that these tales were credible, and he did trust the natives and the guides that had told these things to him. And so he was very much a believer. And anyways, yeah, so he basically, he was never, I don't even know if it was his idea or not, but he never actually formally published his report. So I don't know if it was just, Hmm. like, squashed by his superiors or if he just ended up tucking it in his pocket and handed it in. But anyways, um, later portions were included in a book in 1959. And this was by a guy named Le Wonstein. And he wrote here, The animal is said to be of a brownish-gray color with smooth skin. The size is approximately that of an elephant, or at least that of a hippopotamus. It is said to have a very long and flexible neck, and only one tooth, but a very long one. Some say that this is a horn. Few spoke about a long, muscular tail like that of an alligator. Canoes coming near it are said to be doomed, and the animal is said to attack vessels at once and kill the crews without eating the bodies. The creature is said to live in caves that have been washed out by the river and in the clay of its shores of the sharp bends. It is said to climb the shores, even at daytime, in search of food, and its diet is entirely vegetable. This feature disagrees with a possible explanation as a myth. The preferred plant was shown to me, and it was a kind of liana with large white blossoms and a milky sap with apple-like fruits. Interesting, eh? Hmm. Yeah, and he was shown a path that is said to be made by this animal in order to get its food. The path was fresh, and there were plants um, of the described type nearby. But since there were too many tracks of elephants, hippos, and other large mammals, it was impossible to make out a particular spore with any amount of certainty. End quote. Interesting. So that mm-hmm. kind of negates the um, some of the references to there being like a severe lack of hip- hippopotamus and ele- and forest elephants nearby, mm-hmm. right? Because this is obviously saying there were other pl- uh, footprints in other around animals. there. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 interesting. That is interesting there, and yeah, I don't know, like. Yeah, this guy, Ludwig Freier von Steiner-Lauschnitz. Where was he exactly, right? Because these German... Well, I guess it was Cameroon. But, like, yeah, that's interesting, right? So maybe they were in a pocket where where these were, like, you know, like hippos and stuff were still safe. Oh, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. I or maybe, if you want to believe any of us at all or not, yeah. maybe they're just making it up. Yeah, well, I, I kind of, <laughs> like... When you think about Abbe Proyard's thing, it's like, well, I mean, how long had he even been there when they made this first reference? I mean, assuming you'd think he'd been there for a little while, but it's like, had he even seen an elephant? 
That's could this true. have just been an elephant print? That's actually and true. And you're just mistaking it? I mean, you're not from Africa. Right. So I, you know, that's entirely possible. Yeah, him and a group right? of missionaries. And, yeah. then, and then you hear an elephant roar, like, from the distance, like, maybe. Or a hippopotamus roar. I don't yeah. know. You never know. I mean, at the same time, though, it's like, people did know what animals look like. like we made that reference in the Beast of Jevadan episode, like, naturalists had been sending back information like people knew mm-hmm. what lions were and stuff elephants presumably too but mm-hmm. i don't know In- yeah interesting to them yeah. anyway so then we're up to the 1950s and we get bernard Heuvelman, and he was a french guy and he further popularized the idea so this kind of adds to the lore of the 20th century related to mokele mabembe and he published a book called les deniers dragons de afrique Anyways, and it was published, republished in 2003, but has yet to be translated into English. But you can find it on Amazon in paperback form for $123. Yeah, not cheap. Not cheap. Yeah. I'm not going to buy it. Sorry, No, guys. hopefully we can find that at like a, you know, we'll find that at a book sale someday. Oh, that would be cool. You know we I mean? need like, to start going to more of those. I know. Or even just like garage sales. Old people garage sales find some stuff. Yeah. You never know. No, we don't. So we're kind of up into the 1980s now, and one of the most prominent expeditions to look for this creature that was kind of initiated by Roy Mackle. He had a few other people join on with him. And we've made references to Mackle before. He's kind of, he's an infamous cryptozoologist um, from the University of Chicago. He ventured into the Congo to look for this this thing. I don't have the exact year. It was early 1980s. I think mm-hmm. it was just 1981. It, it was 1981? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he had a decent sized team with him. He had locals. Uh, allegedly, it was a team of 10 pygmies. Um, and he, yeah, disappeared into the jungles uh, on this quest to find this animal. Um, yeah, he ended up teaming up with an explorer by the name of James Powell. And they decided to focus their efforts on visiting the northern Congo regions near the Herbes River. Which Airbase. I, Airbase River, which, <laughs> is, which is, I guess, sort of near the isolated Lake Tele, but of course doesn't feed into it, like we mm-hmm. mentioned. So as of 1980, this region was basically, it still had been like not really explored. Or at least even if it had, the records of it had been sort of, you know, lost in the whatever in Europe. And it was largely unmapped, so... Mm-hmm. The expedition was actually, they didn't reach Lake Tele um, really? in the 1980s. Wow. They got close. Um, they they found some other evidence, though. So, okay, we've got some, got some goodies down here. So Powell and Mackle interviewed a bunch of different people who claimed to have seen Michele Mbembe on several different occasions. And the descriptions of the creature were always strikingly similar. So even amongst people who hadn't, they weren't in exact, live, they were in the same village or whatever, right? 15 animals, 15 to 30 feet, 5 to 9 meters in length. Um, most of them would describe the head to be very snake-like with mm. the long neck and a long thin tail. I don't really... What do you make of that snake-like head idea? That well, doesn't seem very sauropod to me. It doesn't negate... Well, you know, it de- depends. Because, like, if you're thinking snake-like, maybe they're just, like, mistaking it because it has such a long neck. So it does look very serpentine. Right. But there are a lot of... Well, there are sauropod species that have, like, this sort of, like, frill-like thing. Um, like, it's like, almost like a, not like a crown. I can't remember the exact terminology of it, but it goes around. It's almost like a, a neck thing. Right. And so some, like, have that. Others don't. And, like, even, for example, like, the Abrontosaurus doesn't have that, really. And it's interesting because Mokele Mbembe oftentimes is described as having some sort of frill on the yeah, top. Yeah, right. So I don't know. Then you get other descriptions, though. So, again, this could be related to... 
another dinosaur-like creature. There are plenty out there, like Nyama, Nasunga, Ninki, Nanka, <laughs> all sorts of ones out there. Crazy. And they're all from, like, similar areas. So, right. again, maybe they're seeing multiple variations of things. I don't know. Possibly. Mm-hmm. They didn't, like, of course, like so many cryptozoological expeditions, they didn't come back with any physical evidence of the Mokele. And they didn't actually see a creature either. But they did um, find some large sections of jungle with broken branches. So, like I mentioned before, so they obviously had been caused by something very large traveling through, but without finding elephants elephant or hippopotamus mm. tracks. Mm-hmm. They found footprints that didn't match elephants. So they pr- are f- claiming they're from the Mokele Mbembe, mm-hmm. around one and a half feet in okay. diameter. Most interestingly, though, I think this is the most interesting thing. They claim to have heard it. Oh. So they claim to have actually heard this creature making calls of some kind, whether they were calling out to another one or it was a distress or whatever. They claim mm-hmm. to have heard it, of a bellowing sound. Mm-hmm. Because in some of the descriptions... That I don't know if Mackle came across this, but some of the descriptions where it's almost like the neck of a bullfrog, like it's a long neck, oh. but it's able to make these really bellowing, almost like a rip, like a ribbit, I guess. Hmm. But yeah, these very That's loud, weird. intimidating, bellowing sounds. You know what it kind of reminds me of is like the bunyip, right? Yes, the it booming does. call the bunyip. Semi-aquatic. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I I forgot about the bunyip. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you make of that? I, that's interesting. I wonder, again, if that could be misidentified from, like, a hippo or something else in the area. But that is cool. That adds to it. And... Yeah. Hmm. And then Mackle was actually featured in the Monster Quest documentary that aired in 2009, um, which was kind of cool because it's just interesting to see him talking about it years later, right? He's so cute. Let me just say that. Like, he's just this old man and he's, like, really small. But he's, like, so... Passionate. Oh, so great. Like, I want to meet him. I know, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's still alive. I, I think he probably would be. Mm. I'm not really sure. But um, yeah, there were, however, some alleged real sightings. So not just sounds, not just footprints, and coming from Western explorers, not from locals. So even though Mackle didn't, other people did. In 1980, there was one expedition launched by a German adventurer, an engineer, um, named Hermann Regu- uh, Regusters. Regusters and his wife. Um, the couple would claim to have seen the beast on multiple occasions, both in and out in the water and on land, um, and as well as hearing its roars, um, similar to the ones that Mackle described. Mm-hmm. Um, they even produced an alleged photograph, but I actually couldn't find it. I was like digging around online and googling these people's names, and I couldn't actually Shoot. find it, which was weird. So if anybody else can dig that up, maybe that's it's in awesome. Mackle's book. I know, right? That's the thing. It's so expensive. It <laughs> and the shipping really was going to take forever to get here, so it was like, crap, we can't yeah. read it. There was another one in 1983, a zoologist by the name of Marce- Marcellian Agnag... Agnag... Man, why was... Why can't this guy just be named Dave Smith? Agnagna. <laughs> Marcellian Agnagna. <laughs> he led an expedition <laughs> to Lake Tele and would later claim to have seen the creature uh, when it raised its long uh, head and neck out of the water, mm. which he described as being uh, thin and reddish in color. That's the first kind of reddish in color. Reptilian oval mm-hmm. eyes that stared at him at a time before Ooh. vanishing beneath the murky depths. Reddish. Which, of course, aren't that deep, Marcel, Marcellian. <laughs> it's only like five feet deep. What? In most parts of it, it's very shallow. And it was in Lake Tele that he saw it. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Mm. If it's more serpentine and less of a big bulky body, I could see that disappearing in more shallow water. Yeah. I don't really know. I don't know. So that was the, that, that was Mackle. 
that was Mackle. And uh, inevitably, there's more detail to be had with that. Maybe we'll bust out a bonus if we can get our hand mitts on that book. Yeah. But uh, essentially, he didn't turn up a whole lot. Mm. Yeah. Mm, that's too bad. Well, um, there was something that turned up in the 1990s, and that was some footage shot by a Japanese film crew. Yeah. Which was really cool. So they... I don't even know what they were actually trying to make a movie about. I didn't get that part of the story. But it's funny because they were just doing, like, they were um, shooting aerial shots from a plane. And they came near to na- Lake... N- Lake Net... <laughs> Lake Tele. Near Lake I was gonna Tele. Say, near Lake Tele. I was going to say, <laughs> take Nele. <laughs> Anyways, um, a group of these filmmakers, led by one Tatsuo Watanabe, um, were surveying the Congo, essentially, and they spotted this big, anomalous object moving at a fast rate of speed through Lake Tele. And they described it as large, like as large as a canoe from what they could see. So a canoe is like 15 to 20 feet, right? So that's what they could see. It was sort of like humped and it had like a large long protuberance at the top. Yes. So it, it was, and it, it was breaking, right? Like it was creating a wake so they could, that, that's how they could tell it was moving quite fast. Yeah. And anyways, it was partially, mostly submerged, but they watched it for about 15 to 20 seconds and then it disappeared. Yeah. So that's interesting. And Ooh. like they did say it was kind of a weird shape. And the only other thing it could have maybe been was a really big canoe with two paddlers, like, like not working together is kind of the description, but yeah. that makes sense, right? Because then they just disappear under the surface. Well, they disappeared under the surface and not only that, but they would have had to have been like the record holding Olympic canoe fastest paddlers in the history of mankind you would because think... it was moving way too quick. And the thing is too, like if you're a Japanese film crew and you see something in the water, you would maybe think it's a boat. Like, you wouldn't think it's an unknown object. You, well, they weren't you would looking look at for it. it. Well, exactly, right? So, th- your first assumption would be a boat. If yeah. you can't figure out that it's a boat, then you're thinking it's something else. Something so, else. anyways, I, I take some stock in that. that. Well, it's still debated to this day. Like, you, we'll, we'll obviously have this included in our show notes. Mm-hmm. So, you guys can go take a look at the link um, of this footage. Like, did you, like, you watched it, obviously, right? Like, it's, it's, it is. I saw a little bit of it. It's hard to tell, obviously, but it's debated to this day. Like, Mm -hmm. it's inconclusive. Even with more modern, um, you know, ability to, like, take a detailed look at the video. Yeah. It's very Mm -hmm. much like the Patterson, where it's, like, highly debated still to this day. Exactly. Those videos, man. I know. Anyways, now we're getting up to the 2000s. And this was kind of interesting. It was made by two Cameroon um, native men that were serving as security guards at this sort of ferry operation in the middle of nowhere, so it's described. Okay. <laughs> just in the middle of nowhere. All and right. anyways, they were just manning their posts and they ended up fleeing uh, their posts because they saw this huge aquatic creature like kind of come up to the riverbank with a long neck and it kind of just came up and then it made its way downstream. But they were terrified because of the size. The sheer size of it was massive. Crazy. And they didn't give an exact footage there, but I'm assuming it would be within the 20 to 30 feet yeah. from what they could see. Anyways, I won't assume that though, but I, yeah. And so, yeah, they... It was it was in the raining season, rainy season, sorry, um, that they saw it. And it was interesting because the neck of the creature was as high 
um, high above the swollen river. So the neck alone had to be about four meters long, they thought. Wow. Yeah, so that's big, right? Because that's just it, right? It, these wet seasons in the Congo, in Africa, you get huge, massive swellings of rivers. So yeah. maybe there are times of the year where Lake Tele is a little bit deeper. That or, I don't know. makes sense. That it definitely might make makes sense. Yeah. But or anyways. they travel at different times of the year, right? Because the water's deeper. I don't know. Yeah. There's this one. <laughs> it's so funny. It says here, one witness was so disturbed by the encounter that he fled across the border to the Congo. <laughs> <laughs> You're going the wrong way. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. And obviously in 2000, that you would not want to do that. No. That's a bad place to go. Yeah. Don't go there. Mm-hmm. That's, stay on the Cameroon side. Right? You know, <laughs> he was so scared, though. He just had to. Crazy. That's a that's an interesting sighting, though. Obviously, people are seeing something that's scaring the crap out of them. Mm-hmm. We are going to move into it. Well, okay. We're moving into something really interesting here. This isn't the only dinosaur in the jungles of Central Africa, as we've mentioned so far. Yes, we've already kind of alluded to that. but There's mm-hmm. quite a few others, and they're strange. Whether they have any links to the Mokele, we, uh, we're going to get into that. But before we do, we have a promo break. And it's a promo break for none other than a show uh, that's uh, from the Podfix Network, mm-hmm. our, uh, our family of uh, Podfix family. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the Weird With You podcast. So, uh, I don't know, like, yeah, awesome show, super funny. So you can take a break from reality with these, uh, a quirky couple. They basically discuss all kinds of crazy stuff. They go on tangents every Wednesday and yeah, tackle strange stories, pop culture and all kinds of crazy things. So take a listen to this promo and make sure you guys check out Weird With You podcast. Hi, I'm Justine, the big gamouche. And I'm Santiago, the, the other gamouche. And we're the hosts of Weird With You. A quirky podcast where every Wednesday we discuss a weird topic of conversation for your amusement. Like that time we talked about our unconventional celebrity crushes. Or when we ranted about working in retail hell. There was also some mention of plastic pants, snakes on planes, folklore, and something about beaver anal glands. And every so often, our old pal Chris Walken drops by to answer your questions. Never underestimate the power of a pocket square. It'll hypnotize you. Join us every week for new episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and other podcatchers. And follow us on Twitter at weird underscore with you. Shadow for you. So we're jumping into more dinosaurs Mm -hmm. or dinosaur looking creatures anyway. Yeah. And yeah, it's just weird. It gets weirder and weirder with these sightings. There's yet another one called the Emela Netuka. So yet another prehistoric light creature said to dwell amongst the Mokele Mbembe, or at least in and amongst the same area. Some people even say it's the same beast, but others describe it as being looking quite different. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this one translates to the eater of the tops of palms. So in another version, it's the killer of elephants. Okay. So very similar to the Mokele in terms of it being territorial, dangerous, but also a plant eater. Mm-hmm. And presumably with a long neck because it's eating the tops of palms. Hmm. So, yeah, massive dinosaur-like reptilian. That's basically, yeah, full-grown elephant in size, thick in form. But here's where it's different than the Mokele. With an armored body and a thick club-like tail with a prominent formidable horn extending from its head. This is sounding more Whoa. like a weird rhinoceros. Okay, that's really interesting because 
I actually came across this in a, um, oh my gosh, what, Applied Science, World Applied Science Journal article, and it described Amela Nutuka as an unknown dinosaur-like reptile as large as an elephant or larger with reddish brown gray skin, hairless, Same color. Okay. with a single large curved ivory horn that's nosed, a beaked mouth, and a frilled neck, a short frilled neck. And massive legs. Okay, so short neck. Yeah. And it's it's comparing it to the monoclonius, um, which looks like a triceratops. It looks like Sarah from The Land Before Time. Right. Except a monoclonius actually just means, um, you think it means a mono horn. Right. But it doesn't. It means um, a one set of teeth. Actually. Oh. And there's another one called Diclonius, and it actually uses two sets of teeth that are kind of like alternating. They like shed at different times. So that's weird. Why. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. But interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this report, yeah, that's that's a discrepancy there. Like short frill neck versus a longer. Definitely. Well, I'm going with your, I'm going with the latter there because I don't think it's very similar other than the fact that it's a purportedly semi-aquatic, much mm. like the McKelly. But how could it not be when you're living in this area of I know, you have Africa, to kind right? of be, yeah, You'd have to both. adapt. Mm-hmm. There's another one too, and I love this name. This one's called the, ja- the Jagonini or the Yagonini. Cool. Which translates to giant diver. So yet another semi-aquatic, this one maybe even a little bit more so. It's mm-hmm. hiding beneath the waves. And this one was mentioned by a guy by the name of Alfred Smith. Alfred Aloysius Smith, who had worked for um, a British trading company in what is now Gabon. And this was in the late 1800s. But he, bra- he briefly mentions that in, in his 1927 memoir, a creature called, quote, the Dragonini and Amali were present throughout his travels basically so he goes on to say like and this is like this one's got the inflection and the quotes and everything so he's (laughs) i and behind the cameroon there are things living we know nothing about and could could have made books about many things the jagonini they say is still in the swamps and rivers giant diver it means comes out of the water and devours people old old men will tell you what their grandfathers saw but they still believe it's there same as the Amali, I've always taken it to be. I've seen the Amali's footprints, about the size of a good frying pan in circumference, and three claws instead of five. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, so that is a discrepancy from sauropods, mm-hmm. because they have five. Right. And this one was also similarly mentioned in the article that I just referenced, and they don't really give a description. They just say dinosaur-like animal of Central Africa, similar to Mokelema Bembe. Right. Mm-hmm. And they compare it to a sauropod as, like, the closest sort of known dinosaur. Right, yeah. That's interesting. All right. And we've got another one in the Congo, too. So this one is called Nuguma Monene. And it is apparently more so, like, a massive lizard or a snake in some okay. accounts, like a serpentine sort of thing. That sounds more realistic. That's interesting, right? That almost reminds me of, see, like, yeah, like a Komodo dragon crossed with some, someone else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love my crossings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My hybrids. But anyways, um, yeah, it has these ridges going down its back, which is very similar to another one called Mibilu, Mibilu, Mibilu. It's, I don't know, it's the three <laughs> things. It says it three times wow. here, and it's the same article I'm referencing. Okay. And it says it's a sauropod-like animal with large planks growing out of its back, and they compare it to a stegosaurus, because that one has those big ridges, those crazy, like, yeah, crazy. ridge things. But anyways, yeah, so that's cool. So this Naguna Monene is reported, um, has been reported to live around a tributary of the Ubangi River. Okay. And that was called the 
Dongo Mataba, and it's one of the one of the most famous sightings was by an outsider, a pastor by the name of Joseph Ellis in 1971, and he saw it essentially swimming alongside him as he rode in a dugout canoe, and it was gigantic. Crazy. <laughs> uh, and again, we get this serpentine head. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so this has been used to sort of distinguish from a sauropod, but like we mentioned, there are sauropods with no like very smooth tops of their heads. Right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So okay. So yeah. So serpent again, head distinguishing serpent feature. Head. Hmm. But the, it gets even weirder, right? Because this is kind of on a different track here. We're heading away from all these different creatures. There is obviously a lot of different descriptions. So are these different animals? Are these faulty witnesses like you kind of like have to question all of it like what's yeah, more plausible totally and okay this is close to home here this actually yeah. came from the bc scientific cryptozoological cryptozoological club sorry and they in 2001 they trekked to cameroon along with a bbc film crew i'm not sure if they actually ended up producing a documentary i never saw anything about that they must have but bill gibbons john kirk and scott t norman were the main um sort of leaders of this exposition and they went um, they teamed up with this guy, he's a Cameroon researcher named Pierre Sima, and they also went with a lot of very um, experienced pygmy trackers to kind of go into the southern part of the country. Right. It was too dangerous to go into the Congo, yeah. so they just decided to um, go to the Cameroon area there. Okay. And so this is from um, the website. Okay, so there's a quote here from their blog on the expedition. Okay. It says... Okay, so just to give context before I read this out, um, essentially what they've done is they went there, they started trekking through the jungles um, looking for evidence, right? And then they realized, okay, wait, we're going to be here for years and years because this is really hard and there's not a lot. Like, you know, like it's very sparse. And so they decided to go to the local villagers and just get their take on it, right? Yeah. So it's it's a modern take. It's from the early 2001. And so, essentially, this was the quote from when they were talking to these locals. As the witnesses thumbed through the pages, they correctly identified African animals, but were completely baffled by pictures of North American animals. The investigators were rather surprised to see that the witnesses completely overlooked the illustration in Dr. Roy P. Mackle's book, the um, 1977, or sorry, 87 one. Yeah. And which depicts a size comparison between a small sauropod and a pygmy, but said nothing. When witnesses saw illustrations of brachiosaurs and diplodocuses, they became excited and cried out, And so um, the villagers, it goes on here, the villagers had not seen the manual. And when researchers called over small groups of two or three villagers, they were asked to identify the animal known as mbembe. Again, they bypassed Mackle's illustration and consistently identified the Brachiosaur and the Diplodocus as Mokelebebembe. After rigorous questioning and a variety of controlled tests and questions, witnesses and villagers remained unshaken in their belief that the two animals, had, which had supposedly been extinct for over 65 million years, best depicted the creature they called Mokelebebembe. Wow. End quote. Crazy. Yeah. So that was a very interesting case from our BC cryptozoological friends over at that club there. And Mm -hmm. they have a really cool website. That's in our sources as well. So I would highly recommend checking that out. Definitely. But anyways, I think we've basically covered a lot of the more interesting and more, you know, whatever, relevant cases um, of sightings. So let's get into some theories here. Sure. Mm -hmm. So as of 2011, there's been over 50 expeditions. 
that have been carried out to find this creature. And that's a lot. <laughs> the most prominent recently would have been the Monster Quest one. Mm -hmm. But this is what I want to point out going into theories here, though. That documentary and every single other one we've looked at always basically harps on this idea of it being a sauropod. Like, it, it, that's what the description is, so that's what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Instead of their, them possibly being open to the idea of some other cryptozoological phenomena here. Okay. A different type of animal. But, regardless, I've put forward my theory of some sort of a plesiosaur-like creature. Mm -hmm. Not a sauropod, but some sort of... The reason I pick plesiosaur is for the obvious reason that it is aquatic, but it is seen out of the water too. Like Nessie, Ogopogo, things like this, where it's surfacing, right? Oh, but not surfacing. out of water on land. Well, Nessie, I think there has been some sightings where it was apparently like on the beach or whatever. Really? Um, okay. But I mean, I just feel like the description of it makes more sense. It's a smaller creature than the sauropod was. Long neck, snake-like head, vicious. Um, yeah, lives in, lives in waterways. The one problem I have with that is the flippers, because there are no descriptions of flippers. If anything, it's like almost like a hoof with like claws. So I don't know. Right. But, but here's, here's my problem with that though. Uh, if this creature is using these rivers as a water highway, it's going to have adapted feet. It's not like sauropods didn't use water as highways to travel. Mm -hmm. So if this is a semi-aquatic creature... It's going to be somewhere in between. But at the same time, though, like that might just be a loose um, sort of colloquialism where they say water highway because literally the water, that's the easiest way for anything to travel. So whether you're traveling along the shoreline, it's its easier than traveling through dense jungle. Right, like literally just because there's no trees in the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And they do that all the time in the Amazon too, right? Right. You get the idea. Mm -hmm. But of course, like you, you'd think, then you'd see them trekking through. Like they're they're the, the way they're sort of described is that they submerge and sort of like hide beneath the water. You know what I mean? And then that 2009 documentary, they had like the fish sonar thing, and they're like, we're picking up crazy long serpentine like things that aren't crocs. Um, mm -hmm. And they're obviously all traveling underwater. So it, it, there's some discrepancies here because it's yeah. it's it's a, it's a an animal eating plants up in the trees, but it's also hiding beneath the water. Mm -hmm. That's a major discrepancy for me. And then what about this whole frill-like aspect, though, too, right? Because there's that, that's been mentioned in several of the accounts. Uh, I'm not sure if they mean to say that it's one of those kinds that, like, a almost like a cranial appendage where it's quite hard, or if they mean it's one of those ones that can kind of, like, stick up. Like, kind of, like, right. like yeah. a lizard type thing. Kind of like the thing that, like, scares Newman, kind of. <laughs> exactly. Like <that> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's totally what <laughs> yeah. I meant. Um, but, yeah, um, so that, to me, is another sort of... Right. Uh, Do you think that there's an element of hoax that could be involved in any of this? I mean, it's tough to hoax. I mean, it's easy to hoax a footprint, I guess. I would say maybe the possibility of a hoax is most likely at the beginning of the 20th century when we get this dinosaur craze thing. Right. And... Yeah, like we get into, like this one Scientific American blogger suggested that Hagerstein, which was the big game hunter we mentioned at the opening of the 20th century there, he was simply taking advantage of this dinosaur craze happening across the US and Canada, um, brought about by all these impressive finds of these fossils and bones and everything else. And so perhaps 
like they do they do like in the blog it suggests that of course there's longer lived tales about these monsters in Africa right. but that they were almost like refitted to suit the fashion of the time and garner these headlines for funding yeah, yeah. essentially yeah. for showmanship to to fill seats right. and then also in the research realm of things to get funding from um anywhere from either like newspapers universities yeah. other clubs and oh, organizations totally makes sense right so that is kind of another idea there and i right. don't i i don't want to preclude everything by saying that but i think that it is a very likely explanation for a lot of this stuff yeah and so there i am of the mind that there are things that we haven't uncovered in africa i'm not going to say they're dinosaurs by any means because that to me is just like a hype word it's kind of a plastic word that people can just use to whatever what is a dinosaur a dinosaur is a million different things <laughs> well right yeah so, and 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 yeah and that like you mentioned this at the beginning of the episode it's like yeah like oh we're searching for the last living dinosaur it's like Every time you see a bird, there's a that's a dinosaur. You know what I mean? Like every time you, anytime exactly. you see a, a, a any of, any yeah. reptile, mm-hmm. basically, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously the coelacanth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think that this is a misidentification issue no. either, because that's one of the things that skeptics argue that basically, you know, there's they're saying that people who have lived here, whose ancestors have been here for thousands of years, don't know what they're looking at. Um, <laughs> And then also That's there's so that very, yeah, super insulting. There's also the Western interpretation that like that one guy said in that Monster Quest documentary is like, oh, well, people, people in, you know, African countries, like their, their conceptualization of what's real and what's not is, is way different than here. And that might be true depending on what, what, who you're looking at or who you're talking to. But obviously people are describing a real thing. It's not just like a story about a creature. Exactly. That's totally true. And the fact that they were so adamant, like, especially in this latest example from the BC Cryptozoological Society or whatever, or club, um, that they were very adamant about these two, in particular, Diplodocus and the the other one, I can't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Diplodocus and the... Oh, man. For some reason, I want to say Diprotodon, which is not. That's from the Bunyip episode. The Brachiosaurus. The Brachiosaurus. (laughs) Brachiosaur. Brachiosaur. So we're dealing... So those are... Yeah, I mean... This is like all the trifecta of famous dinosaurs allegedly living in Africa. Then we basically have the entire Land Before Time crew. We've got the. <laughs> oh, I just hit my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. We're in a tiny first. little. Uh, we, we've made our own. Shout out to Scott and Forrest because we've made our own little makeshift blanket Fortlandia here. Yeah. It's a little tight quarters though. I just smacked my head on a microwave. <laughs> on a micro. On like a 1980s microwave oh, too. So those are sharp corners. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the idea, okay, so let's get into this. Sauropod, um, Brachiosaur, what the heck are we dealing with? There's been other dinosaurs suggested here, like the Apatosaurus and the Monoclonus that I mentioned um, earlier, which yeah. is the guy the, with one set of teeth that he's using. Right. Versus, And you know what? I just want to say on that note there, the Monoclonus was uncovered by a man he was working in Montana, and he he kind of came across these two... It, it was disparate. It wasn't a complete skeleton. He found bones, fragments, in uh, across, like, a large area. He kind of formed them together. He made a lot of wrong assumptions mm. about the actual physiological purpose of these right. things, and he misidentified a lot of bones, too. But he... Yeah, so it's kind of like this kind of questionable whatever but he yeah he was the one that came up with this monoclonus and diclonus two species and anyways they have both been put forward as comparable creatures but then you got this other one the yeah so the apatosaurus 
This one lived approximately 152 to 151 million years ago during the late Kimmeridgian to the late Tythonian age. <laughs> These are like little ones within the little, broad little like exactly. Cretaceous and all that kind of stuff, right? Totally, yeah. That's... So just think, yeah, 150 million years ago. And so there's fossils in Colorado, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Wyoming, and Utah. And these actually range, so they had an average length about 69 to 75 feet. Hmm. And an average mass of like 16 to 22 tons. So they're massive, Yikes. right? So like these have been compared to these sort of Congo Basin dinosaur-like entities. Well, that type of weight would definitely cause the waves that, like, be, I don't know if we mentioned that. Like, yeah, locals would say, like, when these when these things submerge, like, the wave that they make is, like, going to knock your boat over. Exactly. So if you're yeah. weighing, what, what is it, how many tons is it, sorry? Oh, sorry, it was uh, 16 to 22 tons. That's a big, that's a big thing going beneath the wall. That's a cannonball. That is, yeah. And exactly. a half right there. Exactly. So then, yeah, like I said, like, the monoclonius, um, meaning single sprout is the actual definition of that. And it is dubious, right? So it is herbivore. It is quite large. It would compare to these sort of rough physiology, physiology that we're sort of looking at here. Right. But again, yeah, we're talking North America. But, but, but. <laughs> a lot of this is going on like so, yeah, 215 million years ago, what was going on in the earth? We didn't have the continents we had and know no, today no. they were just starting to split apart from yep. the whole big old pangea thing yes so th there was this gradual sort of yeah spreading and so i guess some people would argue that maybe a lot of the species that went predominantly to north america were actually also in other parts of the world like africa yeah, yeah. so right there you go you get that yeah yeah. Well, that's definitely, yeah, I mean, that's important information to have here when we're trying to figure out what the hell this thing is. I'm, okay, like... So you're you're not of the mind that this is a sauropod? No. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not of the mind that this is any type of dinosaur in its pure sense of, like, right. what it was 65 to 215 million years ago. Mm -hmm. Could there be some sort of a, like, hmm, what am I trying to say here? I mean, obviously we know alligators, crocodiles, other types of aquatic creatures, stuff like that. Like, they're, they're ancient creatures. They've made it. They've made it. Times. Right. Mm -hmm. The mammals that now exist amongst them, same thing. I mean, mammals rose up, Pleistocene was their era, the, the, the lizards fell by the wayside to a certain extent, except for, um, necessary, like, you know, whatever, aquatic ones. And they carried on into nowadays too, right? So it's like, that was the argument of the bunyip and things right. like that. Could that have been a diprotodon or this, that, and the other thing? Mm -hmm. I'm of the mind that this is definitely reptilian, obviously. Yep. But it is just, it's an, it's an adapted, undiscovered species of like a, maybe not a species of a crocodile, but it's just something similar to that. It's going to be a, a semi-aquatic reptile. Okay. That just, just has not been reptile, discovered yet. Reptile, so not like a m mammal. I don't. A mamma mammal. I don't know. I mean, not the long neck ones. The short neck ones sound like it could be some weird, undiscovered species of rhinoceros mm. that's like semi aquatic, like a hippo. Well, that's just it. That's where you get the other forms, like the, um, oh my gosh, the one I mentioned earlier that's like a. It's like a triceratops. Just but go it with just that. Like, let's just go with that. Like, triceratops, stegosaurus. stegosaurus. Yeah, I mean, clonus, yeah. obviously these are still, like, advantageous evolutionary adaptations, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and very much like what a croc and alligators and those types of things have, or a komono dragon, like, thick skin, heavy tails, so you can smack your 
your pre- your 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 opponents out of the way. Mm-hmm. You if you're know? an herbivore, you need something like that. Definitely. So it does definitely describe something that is like likely. Yeah. Anyways, there was a lot of people that are very skeptical about this sauropod argument. So you're not alone in that camp. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are actually they point to more so like yeah this sort of colon continuing sort of colonial narrative that this dark continent of Africa has essentially remained the same for millions of years <laughs> from from the, the end of the dinosaurs to now it's right. unchanged and I definitely take issue with that obviously and this guy in the scientific american blog that i was looking at um definitely takes issue too but he kind of i feel like he misses the mark he's very scathing in his opinions on this but um he says here that essentially the people that are these proponents of a living sauropod have missed the idea that this has nothing to do with the Congo region, and he thinks that it's primarily concerning Rhodesia, so yeah. which is now with Zimbabwe and Zambia and all this stuff. But I think he's kind of simplifying it, oversimplifying it a little bit by Poss- saying that, right? Because yeah. there were these early attributions from the 1800s, from the early, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, I don't know. Prior to the, the like, yeah, like to the, to the bone craze. wars, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, I hate this. He kind of says this. He, and this is a quote from his article. He says, Sauropod-like monsters were not special denizens of the Congo region alone, but examples of a sort of lazy, naive view common in European and North America, or sorry, in Europe and North America, whereby all of Africa was imagined as a homogeneous dark continent stuck in the Stone Age. Right. Inhabited wholly by spear-wielding jungle dwellers and where little had happened since the age of the Mesozoic, Mesozoic era. Right. Yeah. So, like, that part makes sense. I mean, obviously, people did kind of think that, like, it. W- I mean, it's very much like when we talked about King Solomon's Mines, like, the mm-hmm. guy venturing in there and thinking, and like, oh, there's no way this could had be... Had to be Europeans, right. that's what he said. But so it's like, I get that, but at the same time, yeah, it is kind of... I mean, taking away from some of the earlier reports of mm-hmm. clearly something. I mean, even Abbe Proyard, it might have been an elephant footprint or something, but the claw marks are strange. That's weird. I know, right? Right? Ugh, I don't know. This is just such a conundrum. What I mean, you made, you made the comment early on about the interdimensional or just sort of that being like it's a creature of both physical and intangible forms. I really, really like that because it reminds me of Nahatik. Right. Or Ogopogo. Ogopogo. So there you go. Very Another so. example of half spirit, half creature, supposedly. Right. Yeah. And this is from the indigenous perspective we're talking about, right? Because yeah. they do describe it as this exact, it's the spirit of the lake, spirit of the water. Yeah. But then um, Coralie, the um, indigenous coordinator we talked to on the west side here, she said that like her great, her great grandmother or grandmother, I can't remember, um, said yeah. that she had actually witnessed the creature. Yeah, so there as you go. a physical thing. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder whether or not it is just a matter of how you are looking at the world. Like, <laughs> ties into the name of the show, right? Like what lens you're looking through yeah. and how physical things can be based on your 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 belief in them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like just because someone's trekking into the jungle trying to find a... And that's where you get that fine line in cryptozoology of looking for an Okapi-like type thing that's a real thing to be discovered or something that's, yeah, on or that fine rhino. line, on that fine line in between. I actually quite like the example of the white rhino. The more I think about it, if you are, if we are comparing to this, like, monoclonius type dinosaur, like a triceratops where you get the big frill crown thing and then you get the big horn coming off the right. nose. Because that's very similar to a rhino, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. I think there's multiple things going on if I'm going to get to my conclusions here. Yeah, let's jump into... I want to hear your conclusion. Like, I definitely... What do you th- yeah. I, I'm thinking that this is a huge area. Like, 
off the top, what did we say it was? It was like 144 um, hectares squared. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was kilometers squared, but it was like something. No, 144,000. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 144,000. And that was just the La Kuala or whatever it was swamp. So that's like Congo, Cameroon region. So that's not dipping down into. No. So we're talking about areas bigger than, what do you say, Greece? Bigger than Greece, Bulgaria, Which Greece I think isn't was... huge, but it is big. When you're talking about just straight jungle, though. Exactly. So, in my opinion, I think that there are a lot of crazy stuff going on there, and that people have definitely seen stuff. I don't think it's all 100% hoax. Yeah. I think that there is something to it, and I know that probably 99% of the sightings reported of that, what was it, like 20,000 sightings over the course of the century. Yeah. I Probably 99% of those are false or just like, yeah, misidentifications Hyping or whatever. Or whatever. Or people that have seen something, say, at dusk and, and missed, like they can't see it properly. You know what I mean? Well, like that's that, the other thing too. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that because like people reported that like fl- they were floating down the river at dusk and they would literally like run into the leg of a Mokele Mabembe eating in the trees. Whoa. And, like, it wouldn't see... It didn't see them, and they didn't see it because it was dark, and they had to scramble off oh out gosh. of their boat and onto shore. Okay. That was some of the stories about it, but it's, like, because it would come out some sometimes day si- daytime sightings, sometimes nighttime sightings. Mm. But that makes sense, right? You could see an elephant at a distance, yeah. and if you've heard stories of the Mokele Mabembe, you're going to be like, what the hell is that thing? Yeah. Obviously, right? I think, yeah, I'm leaning your way too. I think that um, I mentioned the wood bison and you've mentioned like the coelacanth and stuff like that. Like things don't always die the way we expect them to just laying out in the open to be found, right? Like, yes. And Ivan T. Sanderson, if, I believe it was him or Ivan Mackerley, I can't remember. One of the two had a really good point to make about that in this whole like absence of evidence is an evidence of absence and the idea that if you ask any um the game warden if you ask any national park ranger um experience with like you know like decades and decades of whatever yeah um all pretty much all of them will tell you that they have never come across just a carcass of an animal that had died naturally that's just out in the open right and they had a really good point sanderson i be- i'm i'm 90 percent sure it was sanderson he said um Oh my gosh, it's it's escaping me now. <laughs> what did he say? That's okay. Um, oh, he said like yeah. Essentially, if the, the only instance they have actually seen this is like at roadsides. Yeah. And nature takes care of its own, and it takes care of it dang fast. Quickly, so especially you... in swampy, boggy, humid, tropical environments. Obviously, right. It's not the desert, right? Where you yeah. get yeah, exactly like really long, like almost mummification of corpses sometimes. And I, I mean, obviously, like bogs and swamps do also preserve bones, but they would mean that they're very hard to find. Who's digging in the friggin' bog in the middle of the Congo jungle? Exactly. There's no excavations going on there. <laughs> so there, there we have it, folks. That mm-hmm. is the the story of the Mokele Mbembe and a few other dinosaurs allegedly living in Africa, mm-hmm. Central Africa. We want to hear what you think, Mm because this was a strange one. I mean, they're all strange, but this is, I mean... It's fascinating. (laughs) Living dinosaurs. So hit us up, into the portal mailbox at gmail.com, (laughs) gmail.com, and uh, um, come follow us on Instagram uh, and or Facebook at Into the Portal Podcast. 
join our Facebook group. You just got to click the group button there on mm-hmm. our main Facebook page. And um, just as a reminder as well, uh, we've got our two bonus episodes up on our Patreon page. Yes. So head over to patreon.com forward slash into the portal and check out the mystery of the Min Min Lights. Exactly. And, and also the vanished Amber Room, mm-hmm. one of the most notorious cases mysteries from World War II. Absolutely. So yeah. And special thanks to our producer, Charlene Ramler. Appreciate yes. you. Thank as you, long, uh, Along with all of our patrons. Love you guys. Thanks Love you so guys. much. Definitely. <laughs> Hope so, you have an awesome holiday season. Yeah. We'll be back um, just before the new year, I guess. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. We're, we'll be working hard. We'll be back with content for you guys real mm-hmm. soon. So thanks for listening. Until next time. Yes. Network.com.